One of the things that we were talking about in John chapter 6 in this past Sunday's class was Hanukkah. And we talked about the words Chanukah or Kanukah and the word Kanakia, which they are different, of course, and I'll try to explain that later on in the podcast after the class, which is a recorded portion of class on Sunday. But we had a lot of fun talking about John chapter 6 and relocating the themes in the previous chapters all the way from the beginning of the Gospel of John. So, I want to welcome you again to Lighthouse Podcast. I'm Ty Nickel, and this past Sunday we were talking about relocating those themes in the Gospel of John. There are several institutions and feasts in these first 10 chapters. Uh, We have a a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. We have the temple that Jesus goes into, the temple courts and demonstrates. Then we have uh, his discussion with Nicodemus, a rabbi, and a sacred well with a Samaritan woman there. And then we have in chapter 5, we're talking about the Sabbath, And then in chapter 6, as we are right now, we're talking about the Passover and some of the Exodus theme that we find in that chapter. Later on in future classes, we'll be talking about the idea of the tabernacles. And we're going to be talking about this idea of the Hanukkah or Kanukiah, which is the lighting of the menorah. And how Jesus, does Jesus refer to himself as the Kanukia or the light of the world? In other words, the menorah that was in the holy place uh, because of Hanukkah being a feast of dedication uh, to the temple and so forth. You have Judas Maccabee and the Maccabean revolt with the Syrian, Greek Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes IV. All of these things we discuss and more in the class. We also discuss the idea of the Sermon on the Mount and how this helps us uh, see the theme of king, uh, kingdom in the Gospel of John as well and how all of these themes are really kind of interlocked because of what Jesus' mission and identity was. So, uh, again, welcome. You're here with Lighthouse Podcast and I'm Ty Nickel. Let's get ready to talk about the Gospel of John, and I'm going to study, I'm going to summarize more of our study after you hear the class uh, as it is recorded. Okay? Good to be with you. been in the Gospel of John, and we have gotten through to chapter 6 in the middle of it, and we are at this date, we are referencing back to the former chapters to relocate the themes 
that we have been thinking about because we will find more themes in chapter 6. And one of those themes is going to be uh, Passover. And then we're going to have, uh, in chapter 7 through 10, we're going to have this interesting idea of tabernacles. Uh, For example, in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, Jesus stood and cried out on the last and greatest day of the feasts and said, Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink, for out of him will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. But the Spirit had not yet been given because the Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that was an example of, I think, uh, Hoshana Rabbah, which is the feast that they used to have where they would have the priest dip the pitcher in one of the pools, probably Siloam, which means scent, uh, something like that. And then they would carry the water in a parade of some sort, as far as I know, around the temple sanctuary or the courts seven, seven days. And then on the last and greatest day of the feast, guess what they would do with the water? They would pour it out. And so on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, Anyone who thirsts, I'll give him living water instead of this water that you have from these pools, that kind of thing. So in uh, chapter 10, I think you have uh, Hanukkah, uh, which is the celebration of, or the rededication of the temple. Um, can anyone tell us what the um, Hanukkah is all about? Kanukia, Kanukia. Sevivon, Sevivon, yes. same thing as Chinooka. No, it is not. It is not Chinooka. It is Kanukia, Kanukia. Sevivon, Sevivon. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know what Chanukah is. Yes, then it is Chanukah. It is <laughs> yeah. Chanukah. Or was using a uh, humorous mispronunciation. <laughs> I'd like to say that I was trying to be humorous, but I was just being ignorant. Uh, no, it's close because it represents Kanakia. But Hanukkah is how the English Western world says it. So can anybody say what what is Hanukkah? Celebrates the victory of the Maccabees over the Syrian army. Also celebrates a miracle that happened during this time where just a day's supply of oil allowed the menorah in the rededicated temple in Jerusalem to remain lit for eight days. <clears throat> right. Who? What was the evil king that they defeated who wanted to cut out their tongues and... Was it Judas? Mm, Judas Maccabee? No, he was the... Judas Maccabee was the... I think called the Hammer. He was the leader of the revolt for the Jews. Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth is the 
Syrian, Greek Syrian king that is going to try to install a complete culture change for the Jews, saying you are no longer going to practice Judaism, you stupid Jews. And so they revolted, and that uh, oil was supposed, the legend is that it supposedly, um, they only had the one day's value of oil for the menorah, which is a huge lampstand. And uh, they ended up, it ended up lasting seven days or eight, eight, seven more days, something like that. So that's why they um, celebrate that even today. And um, that's where they make uh, those jelly donuts. And um, yeah, so it was um, the dreidel, spin the dreidel and things like that. Dreidel, dreidel. Yes, um, <clears throat> so Hanukkah is um, what, what uh, temple item have we mentioned that is symbolic? The yes, the lampstand as the menorah is the symbolic lamp or the uh, light of the temple. Uh, we're lighting the inner sanctuaries, things like that. So Jesus uh, in chapter 9 will say, What? I am the menorah of the world. He doesn't say menorah, but he says light. So, Jesus is the light of the world that giveth light to every man coming into the world, chapter 1, uh, that kind of thing. So, when you have a, a reader um, in, in that culture reading this, that's what they will think of. So, you have some, um, some other things, some... some uh, Feasts that we have in the pre, in the following chapters after chapter four. So in chapter two through four, we had the wedding feast. Um, then we had the temple uh, being, talk, being talked about by Jesus, and then we had the rabbi Nicodemus, and then we had the sacred well. So in each of the circumstances, you had um, something to the effect of what the Hebrew writer might. Uh, talk about. In Hebrews, you have all of the references to Jesus is greater than, greater than Moses, greater than this. He's the, he's not the builder of God's house. He, he is God who builds the house. That kind of, in other words, like Moses was the builder of the tabernacle and Jesus is the tabernacle and the whole thing put together. So he's the whole idea, ball of wax. So in John, you have this idea that is runs through there, even though you don't um, read it directly, like a novel. Uh, Jesus is greater. He is the he is the uh, greater celebration, or the wedding feast gives impetus to that, where he's the greatest, greater. The his sovereignty is greater, and it's the whole kingdom being here is a celebration, and it's the greatest. Celebration. Then you have him being greater than the uh, temple. And then you have him being uh, greater than rabbis, which is a theme throughout the whole New Testament. And then you have uh, greater than the, uh, are you greater than our father Jacob, who, who gave us this well? 
Yeah, I am. So you have these themes that run through there to help us with um, the story and understand why all of these symbols are there and why all of these references to Jewish life and thought was there because Jesus was Jewish. And that uh, is something that our, our world needs to know and not misunderstand and extract him and uh, exploit him for something else. We still need to know the real Jesus. He was really Jewish. He was not a Roman. He was not a Westerner. He's not Chinese. He's not Russian. Um, he still needs to be understood in his own context. So <clears throat> then we then we paused in chapter six because chapter six is a book in itself, and it talks about the bread of life, where you have this idea of the Exodus and the Passover themes overlapping. Uh, the Passover was near, I think, verse three, and then you have the idea of Jesus feeding the multitudes, and then you have. Um, him talking about he's the bread of life. Um, he is the one uh, who is the, the sacrificial, um, how do we put it? He doesn't say it that way. He just, he just says it in the fact that he is the sustenance that they need. So maybe it has something to do with the showbread in the temple, something like that. I haven't yet discovered how to articulate that, but he is the bread of life. And he is, he is the manna that God gives. And so he is God. And that is going to confuse them and um, drive them away. So when we pause there, uh, we pause to go back and reflect upon these, all of these themes because all of these themes um, flow down the river at the same time to point to Jesus being, or let's put it this way, rather defining him as the king of creation or even the king of new creation. And so this is something that the world will not define um, for us, obviously. The Jesus of the Bible is a king, but what kind of king is he, is the big question. And he is not a king like the kings of the world. He is, what is that um, song? Um, king above, above all kings, the king of the, what is that song? What's that little camp song? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm like mixing two of them in my mind together. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Uh. See, as his, he made it, and he formed the dry land. Come, let us sing joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the God of all creation for him with thanksgiving. And extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. Here, there you go. So yes, we can we can recall it. And um, so this is this is the kind of uh, king that he is. So we went to one of the most familiar passages of Scripture, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And so the Sermon on the Mount is one of those things that. Um, I'm trying to 
um, convince myself and you that um, it has something to do with his kingship. Um, let's see if we can go to uh, chapter 1 in Matthew. Chapter 1 and Matthew. So these are little hints. Uh, let's have someone read verses 18 through... Uh, Twenty-one, please. I will. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Yeah, so what is... Um, and I don't think that in, in Luke... Well, and Luke does say that. That's the one I wanted to um, go at. But I, because you also have the Sermon on the Mount there too a little bit. So you have the idea in Luke chapter 1. Let's read um, verses 30 through 33, I believe. And then I'll circle back to this verse in Matthew. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, thank you. So, um, in the very beginning, uh, you have, even in Matthew chapter 1, as we read, 18 through 21, and then you have, even in chapter 1, verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from deportation to Babylon to the king, uh, 14 generations. So you have um, this idea of David as a central figure in Matthew with Moses because... David, Moses wasn't really that king figure, um, but you have David being the king, and there's a covenant with David. Can anybody tell me where that covenant in the Psalms is? I know where it's at. I'm just asking if we all know. And that covenant will speak to the fact that um, God has established David's throne as he has established the sun in the sky. And it is a covenant with David. It is a Davidic covenant. So if we had to go through and um, list all of the covenants in the Bible, um, we, can, we can digress for a second. What would be the first couple of covenants that you might remember from the Bible? 
Well, the first couple covenants, the first covenant for Co- David. Covenants of the Bible, oh. like with Genesis and Noah. Noah. The first, well, it's a covenant. It's more of a prophetic thing. Is is at the very end in uh, chapter four, Genesis, or chapter three, Genesis, where he proceeds to tell to describe Jesus with, uh, you know, you sh- he shall crush his head, but he will strike his heel, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You have like some kind of Edenic or Adamant, you know, human covenant. Mm-hmm. Adam meaning human. Um, and then you have um, Moses' covenant, of course. You have an, an addendum, I think, to Moses' covenant, the Ten Commandment covenant, which is called a the covenant of blessing and cursing, which is Deuteronomy 28 through 31, and it addresses how the nation will res- be blessed or cursed according to the their... Um, obedience to the Ten Commandment covenant and so forth. So if they are cursed, then they go into captivity, and that means that they are, as a nation, in their sins. And so you have this promise later on as uh, the nation goes into the land, but then they 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 do what's right in their own eyes because there was no king. So now I know that in... um, Many places, it's it will seem like that that they were not supposed to have a king because God is their king, and that will not change, even though He gives them a king. But you do have in Deuteronomy and other Exodus and other places when you come into the land, and the king does this, da 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 da. This will be. This is what it should be like. And then you have uh, Genesis chapter thirty-five. I believe it's like verse. 11 or something like that where it's around there where he's talking to Jacob or about kings shall come from you. Abraham chapter 17 uh, he tells Abraham kings shall come from you. So uh, all of these things are kingdom oriented themes that David is going to be the one who is God's chosen king over Saul because he will unite the tribes and he will um, represent God in that way as, as God's agent on earth. And that's why he's called the son. He's... Yeah, you know, uh, can I say mm. <clears throat> this is kind of getting into that book because I've been reading ahead of that uh, Simply Jesus book. Uh-huh. I was struck by, um, I mean, I knew this, but I just hadn't thought of it this way. The Jews in Jesus' time have had so many really bad kings. Yeah. I mean, really bad. That I mean, that, that ended up them being taken into captivity and Jerusalem being destroyed and all. I mean, just, so the thought of a, a king was a, they were thinking of it differently. They had a context different than what we would think. They were looking for the real, a real king who's going to set it all right. Right. So they're, they're, so it's interesting that you mention that because they had bad kings. And a king was supposed to embody the Torah and fulfill it. And you even have that language 
in Scripture. So you have the idea of the king supposed to be meditating on his... David does that. I meditate on your law day and night. That kind of thing. Um, So you have that same theme running throughout the New Testament, especially in Matthew, with the idea of David becoming... Uh, the Davidic covenant becoming fulfilled in Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 5, go back to our little Sermon on the Mount stuff. Um, What does verse 17 then uh, probably mean for us? Because he does not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but he comes to fulfill them. And fulfilled doesn't mean like maybe fulfill it so that I can get rid of it necessarily because that's, that's not what he said. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. In other words, to maybe embody it in total. Now, he's going to change the covenant, but he's also still a Jewish king who is going to, who, as Hebrews will say, he's Chapter 7, you, you, you can't, kings can't do that. They can't just change the law. Okay, so let, let's go to chapter uh, 7 in Hebrews. Let's see if I'm... 7 Hebrews? Yeah, Hebrews chapter 7. And see if I can articulate it. Okay, da 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 da. Okay, so um, let's start. Let's see, verse eleven. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, um, an, another priest to arise other than the order of Melchizedek, rather than maybe it's maybe I'm thinking of the high priest, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in priesthood. There is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar, which is what? Judah. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tri- that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, which means what? It's what does Melchizedek's name mean? Which Mark was saying the opposite of? <coughs> yeah, righteous king. Zedek, meaning righteous, I think. So you have this idea uh, who became, who has become not a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement, but by the power of an indestructible life, his resurrection. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a far better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And so this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So in other words, who is he if he brings in a new covenant. Well, he's obviously God, but he's also if he's God, then he is also what? King. So you have this king, high priest kind of thing going on in Matthew. 
And so all of this is to say that in this idea of the Sermon on the Mount and other things, these are, uh, this is a king who embodies the law, and then you see examples of it in Matthew where he embodies that law. Like he'll say it, here's what it is, and then he'll go do it, and he'll show how he heals, how he touches lepers, how he uh, heals the woman with the hemorrhage. There's other examples that prove he is the one who actually embodies that law. And so that is the um, necessary synaptical connections that need to be put in place for the Jews to go, oh, that makes perfect sense. And so for John, it's a little bit different, but it's still Jewish in the sense because you can't take Jesus out of Judaism and go, I'm just going to teach him like this. You can, but it's, it's not going to do you any good in the long run. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm over, overlapping these themes throughout the New Testament. They are not so independent of one another that they don't all mean the same thing. They all mean the same thing. You know, Mark is going to say something today. I'm going to, well, I'm going to say what Mark, I think Mark is saying today. And it's going to mean the same thing. It's going to mean the same thing for the church uh, to embody uh, the, the authority of God. But how to do that? Well, we've got to learn who he is. Got to learn how he is. That, but I'm not going to, that's not the point. But it's all, it all runs in the same direction through Jesus. Everything Paul proclaimed did the same thing. Uh, it sounds different in Paul's writings because he's addressing different peoples, but... He's all bringing it back to Jesus. Um, Corinthians. Uh, I was going to use that today, I think. Maybe in the sermon, maybe I won't. Uh, about the sophistry and so forth. Maybe I will. Uh, maybe I'll stick it in there. Anyway, it's probably time to stop. Almost. Okay, so any, any thoughts about that? Because there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, again, let's go back through that idea of the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, how do how do they see God? How do they? What I mean, that's kind of like an ambiguous or, or arbitrary kind of statement. It seems like how do they? How do the pure in heart, which are not really pure in heart, how do they? How do they see God? That's a good question. I'll give you a hint. Um, Jesus. There you go. Jesus is the one. They shall see him. They shall see his, his rule. They shall see him rule in the earth through Jesus. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And that's a revolutionary thing. On my account? What are you talking about? Your account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Or, again, is great in heaven, not will be great in heaven. It's this idea that you have, your, you have a heavenly reward. Because uh, for they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, blah, 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 what goes right into the beginning of that is, uh, right after that, directly following that is, you are the blank of the earth. Right, so you have this whole idea of fulfillment of the covenant, and it's not just a, but we don't want that anymore kind of thing, like, it's, it's all bad, it's, no, you, you begin to see like a, a renewed or a new type of covenant that is, uh, the new covenant is like born out of. Um, so it's not that we become Jews, but it's this idea that we understand um, God's covenant is embodied completely in Jesus, uh, and that's why he was able to um, take away the sins of the nation and the world. And then you have him establishing a new covenant uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection. <clears throat> and that is key because we are, we are people who are not inherently Jewish. And we are grafted into that Romans chapter 10, 11, 9, 10, 11. You're, you're, we're, we become a part of that. Like if anybody says, are you, are you under the Davidic covenant? And I would say yes, because well, that sounds pretty ancient and weird to me. You're you're some crazy guy. Yes, I am. And so, but it's because David's covenant was fulfilled. So, we're a part of that remnant heavenly movement called the kingdom of God that is growing throughout the earth. So, <clears throat> um, any thoughts? Any questions about those? Before we. Uh, move back on into now this isn't obvious this is obviously like a um, drive-by you know approach to the Sermon on the Mount um, but it's just I'm just trying to give the other ideas of kingship in John credibility or reinforcements or buttressing them I used that word the other day and Cindy's like what is this what did you say right here? And I said, you know, like making stronger by things. What is a buttress, Mark? And don't and, and yeah, yeah. So that's what we're called to do with our faith, and um, don't be. Paul will say, do not be like. Uh, well, he won't say ship, will he? He said, he said, don't be tossed to and fro by every what? Wind of what? Wind of teaching, doctrine. So guess what was happening in Ephesus and other places? They were being tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. About who? About Jesus and the kingdom. So this is why we study. Um... 
teaching is a big thing. Uh, we're going to go through it in Mark chapter 1 because he's going to, Mark is going to go bang, 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 three times in one sentence, teaching, teaching, teaching. And that is why it is essential. Okay, so that's why I am convinced that is necessary. Uh, what does Paul say to Timothy in Timoth uh, Second Timothy chapter 2? Second Timothy chapter 2. I'll go there. You can, are, you, are you in Mark there, buddy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, look in Mark. Second Timothy chapter 2. Uh, that's, that's 1 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Mark 1, what? Mark 1, 22. Yes, sorry. That's what Dalton was probably like. Where is he talking about? <laughs> um, yes, Mark one twenty two is what we're getting. We're going one twenty one through twenty eight. So, and they went into the Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes who were also understood teaching. So then you have this interesting thing going on. It's like a movie where Jesus comes in and then he exits in the same episode like that. Synagogue is the setting. Let's set it up. Da, 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 da. Here, yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth is in among the... I'll tell you in the sermon. Okay. <clears throat> Reflecting on class, uh, Brother Mark talked about the idea of Chanukah, and I had a more recent experience hearing Kanukia sung a lot, especially as you heard as you heard me play that song in the beginning of our intro. Kanukia, I believe, is the lighting of the menorah, and Kanukah or Chanukah however you'd like to pronounce it, is the more traditional understanding of the Feast of Dedication where the Jews w revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Uh, he tried to make them worship Zeus and tried to sacrifice uh, a pig on the altar in the temple. And so you have a lot of uh, history there with the Maccabean Revolt, and that's why we have in modern day a, a memory of Hanukkah which is the later 
version, the most recent version of how to say that. So you have the ch, uh, the het maybe, uh, sound in Hebrew, which is not really transliterated that well into English. And so it was uh, ch, and that's where we get the idea of kanuka. And then we have now, uh, people say, no, it's, you can't really say it that way. So they put an H instead of having the C on the front. So it's Hanukkah. But if you hear um, people of Hebrew background, Jewish people saying it, it's, you, you hear the Hanukkah, Hanukkah, or they will, they will even say about uh, Antiochus, they won't say Antiochus as if it's a K. Uh, they will say it as uh, Antiochus. So it's it's this guttural uh, throat throat sound, and then you have uh, our understanding of it is hard to find out if we're trying to research Jewish history. But that's what's happening um, in the Gospel of John. You have um, Jesus talking about being the light of the world, and you have that uh, perhaps referring to the. Maybe the Shekinah or Shekinah. I don't know how to pronounce that either. Uh, I've heard it most often pronounced Shekinah, uh, which is the glory of God or the presence of God in the temple. And so the menorah having the seven candle holders, uh, the almond tree uh, frame of the candlestick, I think it was 75 pounds of gold that Moses made the menorah in the tabernacle you have that being lit and which is supposed to signify the presence of God the Spirit of God within the temple and so Jesus when he says that he is the light of the world he's making a very big statement about not just being someone who influences it but he is God who is the one who brings uh, understanding of life into the world and what the true meaning of life is. And so we talked about uh, Hanukkah as part of that um, thing that we're going to get into in future episodes. So I'm not going to go into it right now. I'll just mention the other um, feast that I talked about, which was Hashanah Rabbah. And I have a little piece here that I'll, I'll read about that. And it says that Hashanah Rabbah was viewed by the rabbis of the Talmud as a mini Yom Kippur, a day on which the entire Jewish community is judged by God to be worthy or not of the seasonal rains. So all seven Hoshanat uh, prayers are recited in seven Hakafot, or processions, around the sanctuary. So I believe from what I have studied that Hashanah Rabbah is where a priest would uh, dip a pitcher. I'm not sure if it would be a small or large pitcher. I'm assuming it would be a larger one than our standard um, cupboard type pitcher. But you have a pitcher that would be dipped into water and the image that has been has been given is that they would have a parade or procession around the sanctuary for seven days and on the last day they would throw out or spill out pour out that water and that would be a, uh, a, a symbol of what 
they were hoping to be worthy or not of the seasonal rains. Now, I need to go into more detail to find out about that, but I want to make that connection before we get into that in the future so that you remember it and that we can um, discuss it in more detail, that Jesus on the last and greatest day of the feast of Hashanah Rabbah, which would be John chapter 7, 37 through 39, he says on the la- John says on the last and greatest day of the feast, uh, we have to figure out which feast he's talking about. So I believe it's Hashanah Rabbah, where there's the pouring out of the water. Uh, you have to check me on this. But I'm pretty sure it's the Hashanah Rabbah where they're pouring out the water. And Jesus says something like this, Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And again, living water not being that stagnant water, which would represent perhaps a stale or dead-like water, but a... Um, a living water would be that which you would see in like a beautiful fountain or a river coming down a mountain. And so you have this idea that uh, water from the rock that Moses struck uh, would be something that they were alluding to in Hashanah Rabbah. And you have this idea that Jesus is saying, but this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit or the Spirit, which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified and to be glorified Jesus has to meaning in other words he's he's been shown to be given victory I think that's a pretty pretty good way of explaining it at this point he's given victory on the cross and so Jesus had to die uh, for the sins of the of the world Israel and the world and in order for God to give the Holy Spirit, uh, to the world, to make it available for the world so that the world be- could become its uh, temple through faith and belief in Jesus, of course. So we have these images that I want to project for our studies to come, and Hashanah Rabbah and Hanukkah are going to be in those. So again, you have those um, institutions, uh, the wedding uh, the Jewish type of wedding, where there's great celebration, uh, the greatest kind of uh, celebration, the greatest wine was given uh, there to symbolize the marriage of heaven and earth and how the kingdom is bringing joy and um, excitement about uh, the marriage that is to be taken place with heaven and earth and that you know God is reconciling people unto himself. There's, there's, there's two parties that are coming together making a new life. And that's really uh, a wonderful image. And then you have Jesus demonstrating in the temple and talking about his body being uh, the temple that will be raised up. And uh, so there's going to be a new kind of temple in that sense. And so you have uh, also Nicodemus um, teaching or talking with Jesus as if he is an equal and uh, Jesus is actually greater than a, a rabbi, and so they have to learn, we have to learn that. And so that's a Jewish institution, that the rabbinical order that we see symbolized here in John, and the sacred well, which would be uh, that of Jacob, and Jesus is greater than Jacob, obviously. And so the water that he gives, the living water that he gives, will be uh, for the life of all of those who accept it. And it will be uh, living water, uh, as the Samaritan woman learns, and she asks about 
uh, him and uh, says that there's supposed to be somebody coming. The script says Messiah. The Samaritans did believe in someone called a Teheb uh, or Teheb, uh, which uh, had the, it was similar to the idea of the Messiah. And she says, when he comes, he will make all things known to us. Perhaps she means that he will explain all of these challenging things to us so that we can uh, be at liberty. And um, and Jesus is having that theological discussion with her and says, well, you've, you've found the guy. You, you don't have the right version in mind, but you found the right guy, of course. And so you have those four in, in, in chapters 2 through 4. And then we have the Sabbath, Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, and so forth. Um, and uh, Sukkot, I believe, uh, in uh, Exodus 23, I think it is. Or Leviticus 23, I think it is. And then you have, check me on those, and then you have Hanukkah uh, with the uh, menorah, which would have been um, what was sung in that uh, song earlier in the intro, Kanukia. So it's the lighting, I believe, the lighting of that menorah, which represents the dedication of the temple, uh, rededicating the temple. So all of these are huge concepts that we find in the Gospel of John, but they do help us understand who Jesus is and what he is referring to so that people can have an understanding of the story of the kingdom of God. So the good news of Jesus is that he is king of the world uh, and presently is. And these stories reinforce that and, and give us an understanding of how these dots are supposed to be connected from the stories of uh, the Old Testament as we know it and uh, the Jewish Old Testament, the Tanakh, which explained or had or gave an understanding which Jesus had to re reteach uh, everybody and so this was something that we have to understand in our world as well that Jesus is the answer to all of these things that our world seems to think it has the answers to but as we see uh, evil in the world abound all all the time we have uh, a need of being reminded of who is in control and what is actually the purpose of life uh, and what is life um, and Jesus helps us to understand that so with that I'm I'm thankful that you all are listening again as always send your questions and comments to gcoc.news at gmail.com uh, this is part of the Greenville Church of Christ and you will uh, have uh, those answer. You will have those questions responded to. So thank you for listening, and can't wait till we get together again on Lighthouse Podcast.